I am so deeply excited about what we're going to begin to dig into today. We're going to begin a series entitled, I Am. Everybody say, I Am. It's going to be a fun series. I think it's going to be very insightful to us. But I want you to take your Bible, and uh, I told you to stay open to John chapter 6, didn't I? John chapter 6. And why don't you stand to your feet. We honor the reading of God's Word in this house. We're going to begin at verse 32. This is the first I am statement that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. And I'll explain to you the significance of it, but beginning at verse 32, um, this is what it says. Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Jesus said, I am am the bread of life. Everybody say, I am. I am am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. No one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father that sent me, that all uh, he has given me, I should, not, I should lose nothing, but should raise up at the last day. This is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. Verse 41, the Jews then complained about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is, the, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur amongst yourselves. No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last days. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am. Everybody say, I am. I am am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. But this bread, this is the bread that comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread I give him will live forever. I'm sorry, the bread that I give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews quarreled amongst themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I will raise him up at the last day. My flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live 
forever. These things he taught in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Let's pray. I know that's a large text, but God's going to speak to us today. It's going to be awesome. Let's ask his hand on this time together. Jesus, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you're still ministering this life in this bread of life to us today. And I just ask, Lord, that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit, that you would move and minister in each and every one of our lives. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that perceives what your Spirit is speaking today, mighty God. I thank you, Lord, for liberty in this place, that you will bind every works of the enemy. Lord, he who seeks to distract or distort or twist or confuse the word of God, thank you that we can receive it with liberty and freedom today. We pray in the, in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus. And everybody say, amen. 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 You may be seated. I have here before me something that I love very much. I love bread. In fact, my, my wife last night, uh, we went to Target and we, uh, she bought a big bag of kale and I, I turned to her, we were just hanging out last night watching uh, a show and I, and she's, she's on her phone. I'm like, Leah, what you doing? She's like, I'm looking at recipes for kale. And I'm like, what in the world are you looking at recipes of kale for? I said, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, not the kale of life. This is what it's all about right here, I'm telling you. And I love, I tell you, I just love as we're coming into this holiday season, Christmas, Thanksgiving. Oh, my goodness. You start seeing loaves of this thing. Uh, if you ever want a good gift, at least for me. Now, you can bring my wife kale. That's fine. <laughs> but you want to make me some nice homemade bread? Oh, there's hardly anything you could do. I mean, don't you just love walking into a house where homemade bread has been made? I actually, I know I'm getting hungry already. I actually thought about if there was a way that we could make that happen for, uh, uh, for our series, but I figured it'd distract everybody. Nobody would pay attention to the message. They'd only think about lunch. But I love bread. Is anybody with me on that? We see that the first I am statement that Jesus made in the Bible was actually how he is. I am the bread of life. Now, I want to explain to you, before I dig into that, that picture specifically, I want to explain to you why it's significant. Uh, there's a really neat theme all throughout the Gospel of John. And the book of John as a whole, did you know there was only actually one purpose for the book of John, according to the writer of John? There's a lot in there, but he explains in John 20, verse 31, at the very end of the book, he said, these things are written, this book is written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Anytime you read the Gospel of John, know that it's only written for one purpose, that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that coming to that belief that you might have everlasting life. That's the purpose. And one of the great themes you see through this is the statement, I am. Everybody say, I am. I am. Now, he, these guys knew exactly what this was. In John chapter 8, 
There was another, another episode where he's actually talking to, uh, to the Jews in a, in a temple, and he's talking about Abraham. And this is a fascinating thing because as Jesus is talking about Abraham, he kind of alludes to the fact that he was there to see Abraham. And they caught on to that fact. They're like, you're saying that you were there to see Abraham. Now, the, the, the problem with that is, you know, sometimes we don't understand the timeline. Abraham lived 2,000 years before Jesus was on the earth. And so these guys begin to ask him the question, how is it that you say you were there? And what Jesus responds with is, he said, before Abraham was, anybody know? I am. And there is a fancy theological term that I couldn't even pronounce, which is why I don't have it to quote to you today. But there is a way that they translated the, what do they call it, the tetra something gram, uh, Yahweh, where they would take the, the, the verbs out and, uh, uh, and, and they would say Y-H-W-H. Uh, uh, and they would translate that into I am. And it's confusing for us because we're, we're dealing with translating like from Hebrew into Greek and uh, into the Aramaic. And uh, it's difficult for us. It takes a process uh, for some of us. But these guys understood exactly what Jesus was doing. You want to know how they knew? Because the moment Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, these guys understood that he was claiming to be God in the flesh. And the way that we knew that they understood that is because the Bible says they actually took up stones to stone Jesus for blasphemy. There was no question. And so you'll hear people say, well, Jesus never actually claimed to be uh, uh, God. He never actually claimed to be the son of God. Absolutely he did. And over the course of this series, you're going to see it over and over and over again. Jesus is claiming to be the Lord, even of the Old Testament. And so this is uh, not the only time he says, I am. But we're going to look at some of the statements. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We'll look at those in the next couple of weeks. But today... I am the bread of life. Is this making anybody hungry? I love it. We look at this, and there's a reason I chose even my offering text from where I did. You'll notice what happened is Jesus has this incredible miracle where bread is multiplied, and somewhere between 10 and 20,000 people are fed supernaturally through the multiplied bread. Now, what's interesting is Jesus then gets onto a boat. He, he goes across the sea, and there on the other side of the sea, many of the people who were a part of that first meeting actually meet him on the other side. And guess what they want? More bread. I don't know what kind of heavenly bread Jesus was making, but they wanted more bread. And Jesus actually kind of rebukes them a little bit. He's like, you guys, you guys are wanting my, this tangible bread that I'm offering you, this physical bread. But, but do you not understand that I am the bread of life? I have something eternal that I can give you. They wanted just what he could give them. And, and I'm telling you guys, if you haven't discovered this by hanging out in our church at any amount of time, we believe in miracles. 
We're going to pray for miracles. I believe in supernatural provision. I believe that when God shows up that, that bondages are broken and healing breaks out and, and relationships are restored and, 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 and mental issues are resolved. I believe that God does all of those things today. But what I want to be so mindful of is that we never get in this place where we're only looking for the handout that Jesus can give us. And we forget to love him for who he is. Honor him as Lord, as God, as Savior, just to be near. I mean, you imagine how healthy some of your friendships would be. Imagine how healthy your marriage would be. If all you ever wanted was, what can you do for me? What can you give me? But you never spent time together. We're never going to do that to Jesus, but that was the challenge that Jesus was making to them. You guys just want a handout. You're going to be hungry again tomorrow. And then he begins to go into this entire teaching that we just read together a moment ago. But what I want to look at, and I encourage you to stay open in, in, in John chapter 6. It's going to help you. Uh, keep your Bible open because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reference things and I'm going to hop around quite a bit. Because what you'll notice here is repetition all throughout this chapter. You'll notice that he says the same thing three, four times over again. And he repeats certain ideas. Now, what you must understand, if anybody, if you want to know how to study the Bible, and you want to know, like, what is the Bible really communicating here? One of the keys that you're going to learn is look for repetition. In, in English, when we want to emphasize a point, we get loud. Pay attention to me. Or maybe we even get quiet, right, when you whisper something. But, you know, when, when you whisper something, people pay attention. We, we inflate or, that's not the right word. We, we crescendo or decrescendo, that's not the right term either. But uh, uh, we, we elevate or, I can't think of a good word for this. You all understand exactly what I'm saying, though. We'll change the volume of our voice in order to emphasize things. But in Hebrew culture, the way that they would emphasize a point was through repetition. And so if you hear Jesus saying the same thing two, three, four times over, we better pay attention to what he's trying to communicate. And you'll notice there's three things that he emphasizes repeatedly over the few verses that we looked at today. And, and here's what I want us to, to understand here. So in the beginning, in verse 32, he says, truly, truly, there's repetition there. Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. And in verse 33, he says, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. You'll notice that he makes a switch here. The father sent bread from heaven. But in verse 33, he said, uh, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. Do you know who he is? Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. And, and just in case there's any confusion, wait, is that really what Jesus is saying? Look at verse 38. He says, I have come down from heaven. Now, this is very important. Now, we understand this because we're taught this from a young age. But understand the audience that he's talking to here. This is a very important thing. So number one, the bread of life, if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, the bread of life is eternal. The bread of life is eternal. So at first he's saying, 
The Father sent bread from heaven, but then he switches it and he says, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And you know that they get it because in verse 41, the Jews begin to grumble. They begin to complain about him because he said, he just said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. It upset these guys when they said it. But in verse 46, he does it again. No one has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father, verse 48, and again, I am the bread of life. And then in verse 50, this is the bread that came out of heaven verse 51 i am the living bread that came down from heaven and again in verse 58 this is the bread which came down out of heaven one two three four five six times he repeats this phrase i am the bread that came down from heaven this is a major theological point it's very important for every one of us to understand. Jesus is emphasizing the fact that he was eternally existent. Jesus was not born into creation when he was conceived of a virgin. Jesus is not a created being. He is the eternal son of God in John 1:14 we beheld his glory and it was the same glory as the father in John 8:42 I proceeded from and I have come from God John 13:3 Jesus knowing the father has given all things into his hand he came forth from God and was going back to God John 16:28 I have come forth from the Father and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and I am going to the Father. Jesus was not just one guy who was born naturally and kind of figured out how to live a sinless life and thereby was appointed as the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Jesus was eternally existent. Jesus was actually present at creation, John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then later, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is so important. If you miss this, I'm, I'm telling you, this is, where, uh, this is where certain denominations have fallen into cult-like status where they elevate, well, Mary must be greater than Jesus because she was the mother of God. No, she was not the mother of God. Jesus was eternally existent. Now, she was the vessel through which God chose to, to, to give a physical body to wrap uh, deity and flesh in bones. Absolutely incredible. Mary ought to be honored, but we don't pray to Mary. We don't elevate statues of Mary. And Mary is not greater than Christ, Jesus, the son of the living God. So understand this. This is very important for all of us to grasp. The, the bread of life is eternal. What is it? It is eternal. Now, the second thing that we must understand, number two, the bread of life has a mission. The bread of life has a mission. This is another thing that you're going to see repeated over and over and over again. In verse 38, it says, I came down from heaven, 
not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. Verse 40, this is the will of my father. Verse 57, as the living father sent me. We see the living, the bread of life is eternal, but it has also got a mission. And here's what the mission is. That all, verse 37, the Father gives me will come to me. And him who comes to me, I will not cast out. Verse 39, this is the will of him who sent me. That all he has given me, I will lose none, but raise him up on the last day. Verse 40, this is the will of my Father. I'm just showing you the repetition in this. In verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. Now, I don't know about you, but I take great comfort in knowing that when I come to Jesus, he's not going to reject me. That he, that he receives me and that he preserves me. You know, Jesus is a, a good steward. And when we have been given to his care, he's going to take care of us. He's not going to forget about you. He's not going to forsake you. He's never going to leave you, right? And so we take comfort in the idea that, wow, when we come to God, he receives us. He keeps us. He, he sustains us. And he says, I will, he who comes to me, I will not cast out. Now, his mission, so just so you understand it, the mission of Jesus Christ is not to build a denomination. It's to build the body of Christ. In fact, somebody had pointed out recently, and this kind of shook me, a pastor was asked a question, how often do you preach about building the church? And he says, all the time. And then he was posed a second question, well, how often do you preach about building the kingdom? And he says, well, not nearly as often. And then somebody challenged him, begin to look in scripture. How many verses are there about the church? And I'll just tell you, the answer to that question is two. One of those is very important because the Bible says, this is Jesus speaking, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But over and over and over again, we are called and commissioned to be ambassadors of the kingdom of God. Did you know that it is our job not to build the church? It is our job to build the kingdom of God. And there is a difference. And so Jesus, it's his job to build the church. And as long as we're about kingdom business, as long as we're about reaching people, that's the mission of the bread of life. It's on a mission. And the mission was to build the kingdom of God. Is to and now here's, here's a cool picture. Because there are, there's many different illustrations that are given about the body of Christ as it's being built, right? We talk about the bride of Christ. How many of you are the bride of Christ? All of you, even you men. Yes, I'm the bride of Christ. Hallelujah. And, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, it talks about the, uh, the temple being fitly framed together, right? There's so many different pictures, but I, I found another one. You want to know what it is? It's found within the bread. Think about this. How many times does the Bible refer to people as wheat? Lift up your eyes. The fields are 
white for harvest, right? Or he said, pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers. Even when it comes to uh, points of judgment, the Bible says there's going to be a time where the Lord separates the wheat and the tares. In Revelation, when it's talking about the rapture, I believe it's uh, chapter 17, it talks about how there's going to be the reaping of the wheat, the harvest, and then there's going to be the reaping of the grapes of wrath, those who will receive judgment. It's very interesting. So what happens is Jesus is the bread of life, but guess what? We're the wheat. We all get to be a part of the bread of life. That's the mission right there. How many of you, in fact, we had this recently. How many of you have ever cut into a piece of bread and there's like big hollow pockets on the inside of it? That's one of the worst things that could ever happen. But I'm telling you, unless we are about the mission of Christ, that's what our church is going to feel like. Boy, what a nice building. And you go in there and it's empty. And I'm not necessarily talking about seats because I tell you, there's a lot of full churches out there that are dead as a doornail. We got like 60 people in this room today, and I'm telling you, I felt like my hair was on fire during worship. It's awesome. But there is a mission, and we need to be about the very same mission that Jesus was. There are people that have yet to be added to the kingdom. You see, the church of Jesus Christ is not built with bricks and mortar. The church of Jesus Christ is built with people. And so we need to be intentional the same way Jesus was intentional to go after people. We likewise must always go after people. Amen? Now this is a, oh, this is a big deal too. Do you know how people are drawn to the Lord? Because he says, and this, I've heard people use this in verse 44. Nobody comes to me unless the Father draws him. And I've, I've heard some people use this as a, as a reason to explain predestination or election or, or one of these things. Um, you know, and maybe. But here's the key. In verse 45, it says, he explains, the very next verse, they will be taught by God, therefore everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So you know what Jesus is saying here? Nobody comes to the Father unless they are drawn. Nobody comes unless they are drawn. But how are they drawn? Those who hear and those who learn from the Father come to him. You want to know how people know to draw near to the Lord? Through the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. This is so important. As Jesus was presenting the word, this is where many were drawn. This is why the crowds followed him in the first place. The Bible says that they were amazed that he taught as one having authority. It was the preaching of the word that opened their heart. Think about Peter on the day of Pentecost. He stood and preached a bold message. And the Bible says that the people were cut to the heart. And they began pleading, what must we do to be saved? Who is my desire? And we're going to see some mighty preachers of the gospel raised up right here in this house. Preachers from the pulpit, preachers on the street, preachers in the nations. Come on. We need preachers and teachers of the word to be raised up. That's what's going to draw people to the Lord. Faith, we know, 
comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's Romans 10, 17. And I always thought the wording, to be just candid with you, I always thought the wording on that was kind of strange. But I like the way the passion reads. It makes sense to me. Faith is birthed in a heart that responds to God's anointed utterance of the anointed one. Oh, my goodness. Let me read that again. Faith, then, is birthed in the heart that responds to God's anointed utterance of the anointed one. Preach the word of God. Preach that anointed word. It's going to blow hearts wide open to receive God. They're going to want to draw near. And guess what? Those who come to the Father, he will not reject. That's a good word right there. I don't know if you think so, but. I'm encouraging myself. John 6, 63, the spirit who gives life, the, uh, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. So here's to summarize this point. When we preach the anointed word, the anointed one shows up. Preach the word. Don't preach your ideas. Preach the word. Don't teach just some clever idea. Oh, this is the latest teaching. Preach and teach the word. So let's review. And we're almost done, actually. First of all, the, the, the bread of life is what? Does it, who remembers? It's eternal. Number two, the bread of life is? It has a mission, yeah. Number three, here's, here's oh, this is so good. The bread of life provides eternal life. Everybody say eternal life. Verse 33, the bread of God which comes down out of heaven gives life. Everybody say life. life. Now that's the Greek word zoe. We all have biological life. Everybody who's alive has biological life. But one day that biological life will end. Your life will be over. Your body will die. You will return to dust. But... What Jesus offers is Zoe, spiritual life, eternal life. And again in verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. That's Zoe. This is the will of him who sent me, verse 40, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him would have everlasting life. Are you guys getting it? Verse 47, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Yeah, you got it. Verse 50, the bread which comes down out of heaven uh, so that one may eat of it and not die. Verse 51, I am the living bread which came from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And then he makes this graphic statement. If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Now, we understand that today because we have a practice in the, within Christianity that we do called communion. Now, this is not talking about communion explicitly. I want you to understand, and I know that for two reasons. First of all, communion has not been instituted at this point in time. So we can't be talking about communion. The second reason I know that this is not talking about communion is if you were to take this verse and, and, and say, well, that's communion. So if you eat the bread and you take the juice, that means everybody who receives communion is saved. 
And we know that is not true. So what is Jesus actually talking about? I want you to understand communion, which we're going to do in the next couple weeks. I actually, we thought about doing it today, but I didn't want to do that and confuse what I'm trying to communicate here. This is not communion. Communion is a picture of what Jesus is talking about here, you understand. So what Jesus is trying to, to, to say, he understands that his life is going to be laid down. It is the cost of eternal life. That he had to give of his flesh and he had to give of his blood in order for individuals to be born again. The big question is, is how do we receive eternal life? How do we receive? I mean, how many of you would like to know before you leave today? I know that I have eternal life. I know that I have been born again. Galatians 2.20 gives us a great, a great insight. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. It comes down to one word, union. You know what union is? My, uh, I was talking to Leah, and, you know, we were talking about, I, I asked her, do you think I talk about you too much in my sermons? Because I don't think there's hardly a sermon that goes by where I don't have an illustration or an example where I'm talking about our marriage or our friendship or whatever. Um, and, uh, and she's like, oh, maybe, but at the end of the day, I just, I don't even care. She's my favorite, and I'm going to talk about her all the time. Uh, we still hang out. In fact, she's the only person on the planet that I want to hang out with all the time. And I really mean that. Even my kids. I need breaks every once in a while. I'm just telling you. Um, but she, I, I just want to be around her. But you want to know something? There's, there's this, this idea of union. And anybody who's married understands this, this idea. We have entered into covenantal union. What God has joined together, Matthew 19, 6, let no man separate. You are no longer two independent persons, but one. That is the word of God. And that happens. We become one flesh on every level. We have been unified emotionally. We have been unified physically, even spiritually. There is a union. And let me just tell you, this is why. Sex should never be just some casual, flippant, uh, you know, it's just recre it's just fun, it's just whatever. No, there is union, covenantal union. Soul ties are real. It's a big part of the book that I wrote, Dealing with Darkness. It's a, it's a real deal. It's not just a casual thing. There is a union that comes. And so my wife and I, is wonderful within marriage, within covenantal union. There are benefits and there are blessings. There is friendship like I was talking about. There's the power of two working together. I'll tell you guys, I, I could not imagine trying to run a project like what we've been doing here without her. Most of the things that you see happen in the building here is not me. That's her. And we work together. I'm doing a lot of stuff on the church side, but even that, she's got her hands in. And you know what? We accomplish so much more together. There's the, the blessing of multiplication that comes with union. One of them's running the camera right now. 
The other one's working in the kids' ministry. I'm telling you, there's multiplication. That's the benefits of union. There's combined wisdom. There's combined power. There's, there's so many benefits to this. And so it is with Jesus Christ. See what Jesus, the point that he's making when he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Eating and drinking are essentials to life. And the point is, his sacrificial death, the giving of his flesh and blood, was necessary for eternal life. Through the broken body of Jesus and through the shed blood of Jesus is the only means by which we can enter into eternal life. And we come into union with Jesus. I am crucified with Jesus Christ. That means death to yourself. You are not the Lord of your life any longer. There used to be a time where you got to make choices. Where am I going to go? Who am I going to spend time? What is my future going to be? But when you yield your life, you are dead. That's what it is to come to Christ and be crucified, that your will has died. You don't have a choice in the matter any longer. He is the Lord of your life. He decides where you go. He decides what you do. He tells you who to spend your time with. That's what it is to have a Lord. I've been crucified. Nevertheless, I live. So we're alive. But the life that I live, Christ lives in me. So even the life that we do live, it's always yielded to him. That is union. That's what union is. That I have died to myself and I am alive to Christ. That's what communion is all about. It's this idea that we remember the body of Jesus that was broken for us. And we don't just hold the communion we don't just look at it. It's not just a statement of faith we agree to. No, we take that bread and we consume it. We receive it. We digest it. We process it. It literally provides nutrients to our entire body. And the same thing with that cup that resembles the blood of Jesus. We take that cup and we don't just appreciate it. We don't just believe in it. No, we receive it into ourselves and it has its work in our body. So it is with Jesus. It's not enough. To be a, just, I profess my faith. I attend a service. I acknowledge that doctrine. It's not enough. Unless you receive into yourself and allow the attributes, the attributes and the, the nature and the, and the power of God to begin to permeate everything in and about you. I question eternal life. This is a big deal. So how are we saved? Minister Ryland, would you come join me on the piano? We're coming to a close. How are we saved? It's very simple. I've already mentioned, first of all, we must come to Jesus. We must come to Jesus. He said, he who comes to me will never hunger. And the one who comes to me, I will not cast out. You know what I... My wife and I, we spent years traveling as evangelists. We still do as the Lord opens that door. 
I have given more altar calls than I know. Every Sunday I've made a commitment. I'll, I'll, I'm going to give altar calls. Never know if somebody comes into our service, they're not right with Jesus. In fact, my conviction on that, I'll tell some of you Bible school students, you guys are moving into ministry, some of you had ministries, always give altar calls. Always give altar calls. The man of God named D.L. Moody, famous revivalist, famous evangelist. He ended one of his services on, on an occasion preaching a strong gospel message. And he ended the service by saying, guys, now I don't want anybody to just make a half-hearted or a spur-of-the-moment decision. So I'm not going to have an altar call. I want everybody to go home. And I want you to think about what I've said. And if by next week you come back and you still say, I'm ready to make a commitment to the Lord, then I'll pray for you. That sounds good, right? But here's what happened. That week his congregation goes home. And the great Chicago fire breaks out. And two-thirds of his congregation perished in those fires. D.L. Moody has gone on to say, I would rather lose my right hand than ever give anybody the opportunity to think about it. This is why I will never pass up an opportunity. Never forget I was preaching a revival service, tent revival. Gave an altar call. For some reason, the Lord impressed it upon me to give a second altar call. Never in my life have I given one altar call right after. I mean, both salvation calls. But I was obedient to do that. And I pressed it. I know the Lord wants me to do this. Who needs to get right with God? And I waited. It was an awkward amount of time. Finally, one young man stepped out from the crowd and came down to the front. I prayed for him. It was a powerful moment. That night, he caught a bus to St. Louis, and he was murdered that evening. And I have thought so many times, Lord, thank you for putting it in my heart. I could have written that off. I already did the altar call. I'm so thankful that I did. It was, it was horrible tragedy what happened, and Zach was his name. But the joy that I have is one day, I'm going to see Zach in heaven. He got right with God that night. And I'm so thankful I was obedient. Jesus said, come. And I will not cast you out. Believe. He who believes will never thirst. The last part, and I'm, I can explain it to you if you're interested, but it's this idea of receiving him, experiencing him. He says in verse 40, everyone who sees the Son and believes will have everlasting life. There's a Greek word there. Theoreo, it's actually spelled D-O-R-E-O, T-H-E-O-R-E-O. And <laughs> you'll remember that. It literally is the same idea. Anyone who keeps my word will never see death. It's this idea of experience. If you see me, if you experience me, you will never taste we need to experience him. The reason I wanted the room to smell like bread, and maybe one day we'll, we'll get something like that. We'll run a bread machine as the service is getting started. So we can smell the bread. 
You can see the bread. I mean, I could hold the bread up to you. You could see the texture in it. But it will not benefit you unless you receive. And that's the way it is with Jesus. And I'm so fearful. I'll be honest with you. I'm so fearful. There's going to be people that spend eternity in hell after they have spent their lives in church. They see, they, they profess faith, but they've never partaken. They've never received. They've never experienced. That's not going to be the case with us. That's not going to be your story. I want you to stand. We're going to close in a word of prayer. With every head bowed, everyone pray. There are some within the sound of my voice. Maybe you're here in this room. Maybe you're watching online. And you're not right with the Lord. Maybe you have a, a knowledge of Him. Maybe you've attended church service, whatever it may be. But you've not truly received. You can't say, I have been crucified with Christ. The life I live is not my own any longer. The life I do live, I live for Jesus Christ. That's what it means to come into union. That's what it is to receive of Him. I want to give every person the opportunity and the privilege of meeting Jesus today. The Bible says that if we would confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart he was raised from the dead. He really came. He really lived. He really died. He really rose again. And he really is coming back soon. If we believe that Jesus is who he said he was, you'll be saved. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus. I'm going to lead us in a prayer right now. I can help you with the words, but faith, faith has to be your own. Let's ask the Lord to touch us, to forgive us, to wash us. Come on, would you just pray this prayer with me right out loud right now. Pray, dear Jesus, I ask you, Lord, forgive me. I have sinned. Wash me, Jesus. Cleanse me and make me brand new. Cleanse me by your blood. Wash away my sin. I choose today to come to you. I believe in you. I want to receive you as my Savior, as the Lord of my life, as my very best friend. Come into my life and live your life through me. Be my Lord. Lead me every day. Help me to die to myself and to live unto you. I give you my life. I receive the bread of life, the bread of God. I receive it today. Jesus, save me. Give me your eternal life. I will never hunger again. Because you 
satisfy me. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Wow, come on.